0: And that, to me, is like a million times more useful or more rewarding to kind of connect with a musician who's playing from their heart um, than any, anything else that I, I've encountered, really. So I'm, I'm really interested in uh, music as a, this kind of great communicating thing and, and looking at, at how we can uh, cultivate, how we can discover our own voice in it. Um, and merit, you know, being re- as good as we can be, uh, is not always what, how the internet <laughs> kind of presents it to us.
1: This episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hank podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Gerard Presenser. Gerard speaks from experience. Gerard has been on the music scene since the ripe old age of 11 when he became the youngest member of England's National Jazz Orchestra. He rapidly became a sought-after session player and a faculty member of the prestigious Royal Academy of Music and the Jazz Institute of Berlin. But Gerard has felt the need to shift from stage and studio to a simpler and purer pursuit of his love for music, and his advice about finding your own path? is absolutely priceless. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin!
2: All right, and welcome to a another exciting episode of the Trump and Guru's Hang. And I am joined by, uh, I'm, I'm going to try this, Gerard, uh, presenter, yeah. and yeah, great. Uh, all the way from uh, Denmark today. So um, thank you very much for joining me.
0: Hello. Very nice to meet you. And and thanks for having me on. It's also, I've I've listened to a a load load of your podcasts in the past. So it's really nice to be here.
2: Thank you for having me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, and, and just, just so we set the stage properly, you know, I, I've been a fan of, of your playing, uh, like so many people, you know, got introduced to you, uh, first through, uh, the, the, the phenomenal solo that you did, uh, on Kamaloop Island. Uh, thank you. So, uh, yeah, but you know, we'll, talk, we'll maybe talk about that a little bit. You know, I'm sure you're probably yeah. tired of talking about that. But um, yeah. uh, we actually got connected because uh, well, I had on previously uh, Tom Walsh, who was yes. uh, one of your your students when you were teaching at the Royal Academy. That's uh, right, Tom, yeah. Tom spoke so highly of. He said, "Oh, you have to get him on. You have to get him on." And Aww. I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I need to get him on," and and I just didn't know how to get in contact with you. And then the other day. Uh I'm messaging with uh Brian Davis. Yeah. Brian yes. Davis. Uh, oh my
0: god, he has a mug. Wow. That's mug.
2: amazing. He wow. has an amazing mug, actually. Uh, you need to work on oh, that. And I need Brian, one of those, yeah. You need to get him on the show. And uh Brian hooked us up. So um it's it's really great because um, you mm. know, so many people that I respect have a tremendous amount of respect for you. And I have a oh. uh, you know the, the the playing that I've heard of yours. Is just phenomenal. I, I really love oh, your, thank you. your approach to trumpet. So I'm I'm really interested in talking with you about, uh, you know, your development, your concepts, and your experiences because uh, you know you've you've seen a lot of a lot of action, my friend. I
0: I have I have i and less so these days, but yeah, I have actually, and I I sort of uh, use my uh, experiences for my teaching. Really, now that's that's how it's sort of life has taken me in that direction Well, actually I sort of made a conscious decision. I didn't want to do quite so many different things, but I, I value the time that I did do. I, there was a point in my life when I first came through, um, I grew up in London and, um, I started playing really young and because of that sort of early, um, experience, I didn't, I, I did every anything and everything, that it came my way in a very, very, um, active, uh, music scene in london in the early uh, 90s i'd say yeah, early 90s even a little bit before that <clears throat> so i was playing i was sort of playing professionally from my mid-teens onwards um and uh i probably wasn't that great to be honest but i think i was doing a lot of uh, gigs because there were not that many other young players around who were prepared to to do everything and anything that came their way. So I was quite fortunate that I had a chance to to try lots of different things out. So it's been really, uh, it's been interesting. I think um, m- a lot of my my CV comes from from that period of my life, but kind of the early, earlier end part of my career. And then I've I've steadily worked like a regular person uh, for the rest of my working life. So for, thus far, it's not over yet. I hope. <laughs> so
2: yeah, yeah. yeah well that so when you say the, you know, you started uh at yeah. a young, young age uh playing on the scene um yeah. you know the there i mean the london ha- had and uh, still has such a tremendous wealth of musical talent uh in general but trumpet talent specifically i mean you can think of so many yeah. great players that uh are either in london or in in the surrounding areas yeah. uh you know from over over the decades, um, and I think sometimes outside of the UK, um, yeah. unless you're a real trumpet geek, you really don't know some of those names, uh, yeah. but you certainly know, know their impact. But so, who's who are some of the people that that were influencing uh, for you, uh, and and maybe kind of helped you to get get your your gig started? Uh,
0: predominantly from the UK, you mean, like the trumpet players um, who were. Anyway, oh, okay. Well, yeah, because I think my heroes are all from your side of the world. I think most of them. I said there was one. There was one trumpet player in the UK who was actually Canadian, called Kenny Wheeler, mm-hmm. um, and he was a he was a big influence on on me and probably everyone in in the country because he was so such an innovative musician, both as a composer and as a player. Uh, but then, sort of apart from Kenny, then every other bit major influence was um, perhaps more. Uh, more familiar to you. So when I was a first person, I, I loved was Louis, uh, and then I got into. Actually, I think the first person I liked was Roy Eldridge because it was exciting. He was very exciting, and then I got into Louis because obviously Louis Roy just comes from Louis. So that's my very very beginning. Um, then when I was probably in my mid teens or early teens, I got massively into Clifford Brown, and he seems to have stuck um, with me because he. It's remarkable what he does. Uh, even now, you listen to it. It's, crazy off the dial. How did he come up with what he came up with? I still listen to him and wonder. It seems so, so incredible. Uh, And then I got, as obviously the the cantaloupe thing will kind of show chronologically in my life, I got really, really into Freddie Hubbard. So, (laughs) and... I probably still am in a way. I'm still very much, he's still my go-to. I talk about him frequently in my teaching. Um, So then, yeah, then Freddie, Lee Morgan. I think Lee Morgan uh, very much so. I was really into his playing. Um, Who else? I mean, those are the good ones. I I love Blue Mitchell. Um, I love Woody Shaw. I also love Chet Baker. And of course, over all of these people is Miles, who's just sort of out there on his own, being uh, almost sort of like he's, something very different about miles isn't there something something otherworldly about him, what he brings to music um that i can't really uh explain so maybe we just say miles and leave him leave him, yeah. leave him <laughs> watching over us <laughs> <laughs> oh dear but yeah so uh, yeah those are the kind of plays i was really have still am really into i wouldn't say that um it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because when you say that, it's like you're trying to sort of kind of figure out where I fit into that. And I wonder who who I sound like and I don't really know anymore. Um, there was a time when, you know, obviously when I was 18, I sounded a bit like a lot like Freddie. Um, and uh, I would say that there are various points in my playing life where I have sounded a lot like my influences. But I think it's just a sort of sort of percentage of, of all of those in my playing these days. Uh, I don't really think about it I suppose that's the thing I just like to listen to them and enjoy what they do
2: yeah yeah well it certainly yeah. could be you know impactful in terms of mm. of uh you know the way that you you hear or the way that you think uh mm. about music because it, it it makes that impression but uh yeah you know, ultimately what we're all trying to do is just to try and take all of all of the uh the ones that have come before us and and use their inspirations uh mm. to make our own Impact. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I remember saying I was doing an album and as a had a really great piano player and I was saying to him, uh, could you play a bit like Herbie on this one? And I said to him then a bit later, Could you play a bit like Chick on this one? And he said he actually got angry, he said, Look, I'll play like me, all right. (laughs) It was like oh uh, yeah and it was like uh, when I realized what it, my faux pas it's like oh yeah of course that's really rude to say that to like I know not that you were being rude but just just my my perception of of like what how do influences affect our our development and how do we use them and I think for example one really good one is I love Woody Shaw but I can't play Woody Shaw stuff I, I mean I've tried you know it's really hard and really incredible and I was look, looking at um he plays lots of fourths, okay. So he plays lots of fourthy intervals in his improvisation. And I was sort of working on a on tunes with my with my uh with my students about getting some fourths into our language when we're soloing. And it was like, well, we could play it like Woody Shaw, but we can't play it like Woody Shaw. So rather than being kind of, you know, pissed off about that, we could actually figure out a more lyrical, perhaps a slight when I say lyrical, a slower way of playing that kind of information and actually making it quite um. It's somehow more yeah a, a sort of lyrical version of force because actually when you're opening up your language to have bigger spaces between the notes then of course that that could be perceived as more melodic in a way so I'm, I'm quite interested in um like taking sort of aesthetics of my favourite players or things like their their rhythmic approach, maybe another thing that he does actually again Woody really Shaw sure thing is he's really into displacement and subdivisions and things in his lines. So again, I couldn't really work out what he's doing all the time, and also I think it's. Perhaps like quite hard again, and not, and I want to find a more kind of a slightly looser way of doing similar things. So I worked out a system of uh, superimposing a kind of 12-8 thing over everything. Uh, and so that way I can, I can kind of time my eighth note triplets together in interesting ways and sound actually kind of woody really short-ish. Like, and I, I did do a thing actually, anyone can try this at home if you want to, is that to take Clark 2. And uh, put it into eighth note triplets in groups of four. So that changes everything. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if anyone's done that. I'm sure people have done that, um, but it's uh, it is really fun if you do that. I mean, like you can waste hours doing that.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, it sounds like I'm going to be wasting a lot of time. You can.
0: I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll send you some. I'll send you some stuff. But it's re- I, I love all that because it sort of means that anything that you do like if I'm playing my normal bebop eighth note kind of language, but I put it into eighth note triplets in groups of four, it, it means I have absolutely, in a way, I've lost control of where everything fits comfortably. But then I have to sort of, I, I'm given new, um, new, new uh, challenges to, to make it sound deliberate, to, to kind of say, okay, I've, I've modulated early or I've modulated late to the resolution. And then it's like, well, how do I make that sound deliberate? And it's really, it's actually kind of fun to mess with stuff like that yeah um yeah.
2: yeah that sounds really good. I, cool.
0: I could go on but it, it would be a long podcast oh, well,
2: <laughs> so. there have been some long ones
0: <laughs> so, oh, okay. Oh, okay oh good yeah. yeah
2: but i mean it what it sounds to me is that uh i mean it, we have we have people who are artists artistes, mm-hmm. uh, if you will uh and that are um so uh, they're so innovative they're so creative but many of them can't tell you how they think, why they think, or what, you know, yeah. they, they, they don't have... It's, it's just a, a very natural expression. And then yeah. we have people who are very uh, thoughtful and intentional in what they're doing. And it sounds yeah. like you you have that balance of uh, having a very clear kind of uh, analytical way of, mm-hmm. of looking at the music, but also then being able to put that all aside and just go out and. And let it yeah. all fly. Yeah. So, I mean, has that been part of like your your the yeah. way you approach yourself?
0: Totally. It's a brilliant question, actually, because it's it's that balance, isn't it, in life? That, so, Because we all have to practice and we all want to work on, on our art and, and perfecting what we do so that when we go out and we play, uh, we should be able to put that all to one side and just connect with, uh, you know, what's going on around us, the, the environment, the people you're playing with. Uh, the music you're playing to to be like to get a really uh, the real thing which is not what you worked on in the practice room um, and actually I, I just to say because I used to when I was working at the academy I was the workshop booker for a few years and it was a it was really interesting and, and, and very funny as well because you could get people talking all sorts of weird saying all sorts of weird conceptual things or, or also being very uncommunicative about Um, what they did as well and not being able to express what they were doing when often it was really complex and really, really interesting and and would be great to talk about. Um, So I kind of, I cut, but my background is that although I did have teachers, my teachers were not telling me a lot, actually. I think it was, There's, I mean, we all have this a bit in our teaching or in our, when you see some, a young player coming through and they can do it, you know, it's like, well, great, go for it. You know, you don't necessarily... Have to get too involved with that, and that's what I think I grew up with. So I was doing it from such an early age. Um, I was probably really confident as well and arrogant, and thought I was great. So I probably wasn't probably wasn't that open to a lot of uh, instruction. But but for me, what's really important is that um, if I'm really if I'm very I, I obviously as a teaching as well, I come across really naturally gifted players of all ages. It's not just kids; it's of, of all ages that people can come to me sounding brilliant and not really knowing what they're doing um and it's this is the point is they do know what they're doing they just haven't put a label on it yet and and I can help them to do that but for me that that intuitive um in, in you know somebody who's who's, in, who's allowing their ears to guide them it's not that's not a disadvantage um but the thing for me over the years was like I sort of I was really successful really early in my life so I got to be quite yeah I I got to be quite successful with lots and lots of work by my early 20s and I was feeling really frustrated with my own playing because I didn't know how to develop it both as technically as a trumpet player I was hurting myself all the time Uh, and then musically um I picked up so much by ear that I didn't know then how to how could I move it forward how could I get something which felt a little bit more expressive to me so I didn't want to sound like Freddie Hubbard anymore I love Freddie Hubbard but I need to be doing my own thing and I didn't know how to go about that. So for me, theory of both of playing and and also of soloing uh developed because I needed to uh I needed to move it forward. Um and that's the thing that I, I really want to kind of but I, at the same time I don't want to say to somebody who's really natural, that's not right, you know, you're just doing that by ear, that you need to have. But but I say you yeah, that's great. You could try this a little bit to maybe, maybe move it around something rhythmically or just to tell them what they're doing like say okay you're playing a bebop dominant scale here and it sounds great so why don't you try and start that in a different part of the scale that that would that would, could, could actually make things difficult but also raising someone's awareness is uh is, when you do it right it's really exciting to watch somebody go oh yeah I, that's what i was doing and it's like rather than rather than um kind of making it seem like a uh like Dungeons and Dragons, with lots of hidden rules and, and, and pitfalls, and, oh, no, you, that's all wrong. You can't do it like that. <laughs> yeah. well, of, often presented like that in education, I think. I, I, so I try to, to kind of think about the person that I was when I was 15, and that was somebody who's really enthusiastic about music and listened to everything. Uh, and didn't quite understand it, but just uh, copied my heroes as best I could, and uh, got quite far, I think. But um, I needed a little bit bit of kind of kind of explaining what I what I was doing, uh, um, and then it, it, I could have moved forward a bit faster, I think.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it, and that's such a interesting dynamic that that exists. I mean, it's it's certainly a dichotomy because, mm-hmm. um, you know, when when it's all, and I hate using the word natural because, mm. it, you know, yeah, it, yeah, I agree. But when, when, when you have, when you already have that level of, of, uh, uh, of expressive intent, I, I guess mm. I'll, I'll use that, uh, and you have yeah. basic facilities uh and you can you can get around the horn yeah, and, and i see this a lot with people who have perfect pitch um mm-hmm. that it's very easy for them to to copy things or to 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 imitate yeah. sort of things and it's great uh yeah. but, but they they reach a point where like you were saying they they can't develop their own voice because mm-hmm. you, you only know what you know and yeah. then when when they run into to problems and, and they feel stuck they don't know how to expand uh, so, going from that technical side of understanding the theory and 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 be, being able to think about things from that way, uh, provides them, uh, opens up the door for them for for a different level of creativity. It's like yeah. learning, almost like learning a new language. Uh, yeah. You're learning new vocabulary, I guess is the best way to say it. Uh, but uh, it's so hard because uh, I 100% agree with you because you don't want to squash someone's enthusiasm. You don't want to squash that natural ability that they have, that that unique voice, yeah. but you also want to help them to see that just because this is the way that, that you're hearing it right, that, that you've always heard it, doesn't mean that that's the way that you, uh, that you don't want to limit yourself to that because there are so yeah. many other ways of being able to express yourself.
0: Sure, yeah, and it's so much fun to kind of exploring it that's the thing it's it becomes i think when you start out it's all about making a, some kind of grade in your head. It might be the the person who's really good at your band who plays the same instrument as you and you, you want to try to get up to their level um, but then once you kind of it, you sort of it, it beca- that that way of you know meritocratic kind of climbing. Climbing stops being that important, I suppose, once you get to a certain point. I know that sounds very complacent uh, in a way, but I I just felt like with soloing, it's got to go in different directions. I, I mean, just to give you an example, because it's very relatable to what we're talking about. But very recently, so I was playing. <coughs> the reason I've been in Denmark, or well, one of the reasons I've been here, was because I was playing in the re- the Radio Big Band, and I was in that solo chair on in the big band playing. Playing anything and everything that was put in front of me, and that was really a skill that I've been trained to trained up to do since I was like really young. Because my teacher was uh, in that position in the BBC band, Uh, so it was kind of like it was on the cards that I would end up doing something like this. But right from the dawn of time, but I found that um, it became it came to the point where I was the guy who was like going to go and I, I, I relate this to football and I hate sporting analogies Why I say soccer when I say football the guy the guy who goes on in the 92nd minute of ex, you know to, in extra time to take the penalty solo that's how it felt because I, I would just get the one the one tune at the end of the gig which was like ridiculously fast with all of the changes that no one else wanted to play and it's like oh Gerard can do that oh yeah he does that no problem it's like And it was like, in the past, it would have been, yeah, I can do that. And I'd have gone down and I'd played it and it would have been great or whatever. It would have been fast anyway and high and loud and everything that it had to be. I thought it had to be. And it just came to the point. It's like, yeah, I know that's what needs to happen there, but, and I can really do it. I mean, I really can. I'm not not showing off. It's just like, I really have been trained for 30 years to to do that solo. I was like, yeah, but. Ah, you know, I came to I, it came to a solo break. And I think it might have been the last gig I did. Actually, this is really bad, but last gig came to a solo breaks. I like thought the band's like da 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 da, and it's like the drums stop. It's like four bar break for me to play a lot of very fast high notes. It's hard. I just I actually didn't play a note. <laughs> just waiting for the rhythm section to come in. There. Right. <laughs> I think it's something nice to play now, uh, and it's like it, it really is that you you i mean that's an extreme example but you really got to find what you like doing um and uh, try to explore music in all areas of your music making regardless of what it you know how however commercial it is if you're if you're doing stuff for the money you still you can still sound like you even if you're playing a written part you can still sound like you and i think that's really what what's guiding me now uh and um the thing is really when you when we kind of meet people who are feeling disadvantaged because they can't articulate what they don't they can't say what it is that they can do it's it's really unless it's an unnecessary uh, insecurity that they're carrying around with them it'd be nice to say no you' I really like this and I like that and I, I think that's a really good thing let's see if we can kind of polish that let's cultivate that a little bit more and I'll show you what you maybe you could take that in a different direction to to sort of challenge yourself because I think for me a great solo is a creative development it's not a uh, perfectly polished thing always although i have been a bit that way inclined in my life as well i've wanted to play the perfect solo what is the perfect solo actually that's a good question
2: and that that is a good question and what is
0: your answer go i don't know i really don't know i'm looking i'm trying to find it so i can tell you what i'm doing at the moment to try and find it because it was the it it, is a sort of um uh, way of uh, i noticed yeah it was, i was teaching a student uh, we were working on milestones because it's a nice easy tune it was one, a, a kind of like a, a, a formative student talking about improvising and using a modal tune And it was like what we listened to what i noticed with miles on milestones is that every um every eight bars he he plays a really strong rhythmic idea at the beginning of the eight bars and then he just kind of fades away into the distance and then he comes back in about eight bars later and it's like again and, and that's all he does all the time. And it's it's so simple. And then I noticed, actually, that um, so many people do that. So you, if you if you did that, like, say, in a solo, of say, you're, you're in four-bar blocks, if you play in a four-bar block, play interesting idea in bar one and two, and then fade away, almost playing nothing in bar three and four, and or trying to resolve it in about bar three. So you're almost like try, aiming for a resolution in bar three. And often the chord progressions that we, like, the standards have, Modulation and quite interesting stuff going on in those bars I'm telling, telling my students not to play in. And it's really cool. It sounds like Miles. Also sounds like it also sounds like Freddie. It also sounds like Louie, It also sounds like Dizzy. I mean it's like when you start listening, Chet does it all the time as well. Um, and it's a great way to work out playing over faster tempos, because it just means you kind of takes the pressure off you having to play to go for eighth notes all the time. I think that's, it's really cool. So just building space into breathing space, it's punctuation. Uh, like in the book so it, it sort of starts to sound quite like actually that's what I should be doing because so I, I noticed uh, I did not my first recording after lockdown for like I haven't done an album for about three or four years really uh, and uh, I did a, a side I, I played as a side person on a on a quintet album last week <clears throat> so I was quite interested to see see all this work I've really been working on my playing for the last few years and with my students and I'm sort of quite interested to see if any, how it how it panned out how did it work did all this this that thought about playing work and by doing that just that block of four thing where i'm backing away was just a really nice way to start a solo if nothing else it's really really nice way because it gives the rhythm section like oh okay we can do something with this player it's like you, there's interaction possible there um so it opens it it invites other people in to help you with your solo and i think it uh, also Makes just just creates more awareness. I, I I don't want to be the the icing on the cake. I want to be part of the band. I think that's really important part of a solo approach. So sometimes I think it's important not to be the star of the show on your own solo. And that's mm. quite that's a tough one.
2: That's a really interesting concept. Mm. um yeah. And and I think you know we're talking about like uh you know Miles as being kind of this mm. island unto itself. Yeah, yeah. Um. I think he was definitely the master of that, yeah. uh, and the you know, his use of space, the uh, the the simplicity in many ways of what he did. Uh, I yeah. mean, like you compare what he, you know, uh, an iconic Miles solo to an mm-hmm. iconic Freddie solo or Woody yeah. solo, they're they're worlds apart in terms of mm-hmm. the technical demands of what of what's going on, but. Yeah, you know, he was able to say so much with so little, uh, and you know, even even Chet, you know, the 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 lyrical genius of of what he did. Um, and, and I think sometimes we, uh, as players, we get so enamored with the uh, the pyrotechnics. Of yeah, class, the higher, faster, we, louder. We can't help it. <laughs> it's just I'm kind of... those guys too. So we, you know, yeah. yeah.
0: I know I've actually, you know, I have to, I'm not, I'm plugging something now, but it doesn't, it won't, it won't result in any financial gain for me. But I started, it was almost in response to what we're talking about. I started a a Facebook page and it's, uh, so the opposite of fast, loud and high is soft, quiet and low. And so if you, if you look up SQL for trumpet players, I have a page dedicated to, like I've been going around looking for, looking for things to put on that and it's all that, that end of the trumpet and it is su- such a nice place to go so on a quiet moment there is somewhere now on Facebook for you to to go kind of go and explore some really interesting players from all over the world and obviously I've got Chet there and I've got Kenny Durham there but there's also some brilliant Norwegians and uh, people from all over the world playing really beautiful trumpet and I think it's uh it's a surprise uh because you hear it, you hear people doing great things. I remember hearing Arturo Sandoval once at yeah, Ronnie Scott's years ago. And of course I, I would always go and hear him because you have to, it's like, you've got to hear someone doing that to a trumpet. Um, just, just like to go like, wow. I mean, whatever, you know, that that's just, you have to. And and uh, as I, that's how I felt. And he just had some surgery, I think it was years and years ago. And he was not playing. Um, he wasn't going for it. Uh, and it was beautiful, <laughs> like really like I was playing flugelhorn, playing quite a lot of ballads and stuff. And it's like, wow, you know, that's, that's why he's good. You know, and I, I have the same feeling about Freddie Hubbard is that when I was 15, I loved it when he was, you know, going for it, but actually the same solos now I listen to the invent the rhythmic invention and the kind of interesting and harmonic relationships in his ideas that he carries through, uh, the solos, not, not the, so, you know, it's actually that there are things about our heroes that that even though there are pyrotechnics there, that might not be why we like it. That's, that's maybe a a get out clause for pyrotechnic liking trumpet fans like you or I.
2: Yeah, well, I think that that, um, sometimes it's the, the, well, that's what attracts us to it. And we, um, you know, we copy the licks, you know, so it's like a here, here's my Freddie Lake. Here's my Woody Lake. Here's my, you know, yeah, yeah. so, um, but, but when you're copying the licks, it's not taking the solo in its entirety, the no. the, the layers of complexity that they weave through that yeah. because i I know guys that can they can do that. I mean, I, I, yeah. I, a couple of guys just, you know, like they can just play Freddie all night long. And while yeah. they're playing the Freddie licks, it doesn't have what Freddie no. had.
0: No, not uh, at all. No, not at all. And that's so, so exciting to realise there's something much deeper in there. I mean, he might not have known himself. That's, that's the thing, isn't it? Really. I mean, in a way, maybe he didn't. I mean, because he's so. He's so incredible in the nineteen sixties. I mean, that's that to me. In the nineteen seventies, he's great. He's absolutely amazing. There's some great albums of Freddie in the nineteen seventies. But the nineteen sixties is just this kind of—it's—it's it's magic, you know, for him because he's but also playing with so many different bands. He's like popping up with Coltrane on one thing, and he's playing playing with Wayne Shorter and then with Dexter Gordon, and it's all really quite varied, you know, styles and and that stuff with Oliver Nelson, um, and it yeah, he just like it, it, it's he finds something different in all of the, the slightly different uh, aesthetics that he's playing. Uh, and he's still obviously he's, he's very, very distinctive because of his sound and his vibrato and, and stuff, but he, he doesn't ever really do what you expect that like he always does it. at something like, wow, why would you do that? There's an album that Herbie album from early sixties called taking off. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a blues on that one where he, it's just like, I don't know how he came up with it. You know there's some of the things it's just it's it's so simple what he does and it's uh so brave actually uh what he's doing but it's it's all about his his singing I think that's that's how it feels to me there's a there's a, a vocal quality to his thing which I think Miles has um I I really like Blue Mitchell I said that already he has that too and obviously Chet, and you know there's different ways of singing but they're all singing I think.
2: Yeah. Well that's yeah. That, that is a, a very good analogy for that. Yeah. And I think sometimes we forget that as, as players that.
0: Yeah. Uh, well, there's a piece of metal in front of us. Of course we forget that. We're going, ah, what do I do with this? Yeah, it's really not the easiest instrument.
2: Yeah. So, you know, you, you obviously have a, a great passion for performing, but also a great passion for, for education. Mm. So, you know, what, what kind of inspired you to to want to teach as, as much as you have over, over your career? This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg.
0: In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? discover williamsburg and plan your trip at visit williamsburg.com um <laughs> the money <laughs> yes, if uh, yeah so no no it was uh i always ta- i always taught actually even before i knew what i was trying to teach um i always taught because i it was about sharing my uh my enthusiasm and love of what we what we're do, we're talking about now with us with other like-minded uh people and that was always a thing so teaching was like that to start with um and then also for me it was about trying to articulate as i said about this kind of desire to try to find it's all been what my i'm i am my i am a the crash test dummy of my musical life so teaching really helps me i need to talk about it i need to think about it a bit um uh, i find that when i've just been a player alone i i think it doesn't it's not as good for me musically i need to have some time to try to figure out what i'm trying to say um doesn't mean i can't i i i, I can also not think about what i'm doing as well i've i've done it all i've tried it all <laughs> over the years different uh, balancing acts um at this stage in my life, I don't feel that good about performing, actually. It's interesting to say that. I've done so much performing. It's been, like, 30 or more years of performing, and I'm I'm not 100% sure I want to go back to it, uh, and certainly not the way I was, was doing it, because I do want to decide what I play. And that sounds very arty, I don't, and I'm not trying to be. I just really, I think I did, it came to the point where anything that I was being asked to do, I didn't want to do anymore. that that was like okay this isn't the music i'm being asked to play this is about me and and just feeling as though i need to kind of figure out what it is i'm trying to say through music so i kind of um it's been good it's been it's been actually a very positive point in my life to step back a bit so i'm i'm happy about that but the actual the teaching thing um was because of yeah as I said, like the things I didn 't get when I was young, I think most of us teach in that way actually, we want to kind of kind of compensate or figure out things that we would have done differently ourselves for our, if you could get in a get in a time machine and go and teach yourself when you were a certain age you you'd probably have some quite different things to say to you to you than your teacher did at that time, maybe you'd kind of go if only right. um, so th- there's that going on, and then also I just really love the the um the community of it i love that we can talk about this stuff because it's we're absolutely you know obsessed fascinated uh with it and trying to work out what it means it's it's really uh it's a lovely thing to do I, i just really enjoy it and i'd rather rather kind of hang out with other people and talk about this stuff than go and play some meaningless tv show for me for me it's not everybody and also when i have done tv shows i want to play it really well you know it's not that's not what i'm saying it's just more that i think i want to connect with the things that i love about music more directly yeah uh yeah yeah
2: well i mean i i think that that we all have uh, we go through a a personal evolution mm-hmm. and um you know the the things that were important to us when we were in our our teens and our 20s uh as we get a yeah. little Become become less important, and yeah. I think if, if one thing, yeah, you know, if I had to to point at one thing that uh, what we had to go through with the pandemic um, provided us was it provided a lot of people uh, an opportunity to slow down and to yeah. actually reevaluate their priorities and yeah. and be and and when you're on that grind of the hamster wheel of gigging. Uh, yeah. Sometimes it helps you to get off of it and go. Is this really what I want to do? And if it is what you want to do, then great. When when they get, they open up, then you yeah. you enjoy the gigs that much more. Sure. If you're able to go, well, no, you know, hey, I, I really feel like my life wants me to go in this direction. Well, it gives you that opportunity to do it and to do it with yeah. a clear conscience. So
0: yeah it's interesting to say clear conscience though because it's like you should be we should be gigging it's like this kind of and I, I've often I often find myself apologizing for the decisions I've made in the last couple of years uh or like trying to just almost like trying to put a case forward for why it's okay for me to do this because I think people have I, I've done really good gigs you know I've done gigs that people would want to do I suppose that's why it's like there's like, there are other people who would love to do some of the work I've done um and i I've loved doing it as well at times. It's just that things maybe are not it's not just you don't just arrive and that's it. I've arrived it's life isn't like that, and it's really maybe important to to acknowledge that um, yeah, it's good. i think I think lockdown was um gave me a, a that cathartic moment to to decide where, whether I was going to go back into it or not. Um, and I'm, I'm sort of, I'm really lucky actually to say that. I mean, I I had a sort of ideal of what I I wanted to do. Um, also my wife is a, a composer, a classical composer, and she's doing really great things. And I've been very fortunate also to play her music in the last, last 10 years or so. And, uh, she's written some great things for me to play. And, and it's really like the most challenging music I've had to play, uh, because, uh, it is just it's really difficult and really, really a, a deeper level of understanding than playing over chord progression is required to play her music. So so I've, I've had a real kind of, uh, I've landed on my feet in that respect and I've had amazing pieces of music written for me to play. And I've got to play with uh, improvising within classical chamber groups. And that's just been the, the, the most challenging thing I've ever had to do. And it made me have to reevaluate my, my approach to playing and, and look at the technical approach that I was using and say, actually, maybe I could be a better trumpet player than than I, I think I am. And I need to play more in tune, for example. I need to be able to play quietly and I need to articulate things uh, more cleanly. And I need to learn to improvise without playing any Woody Shaw or Freddie Hubbard licks. <laughs> I can't play any, certainly no bebop scales and uh and it's been really really interesting for me that stuff so i've got i've got i've got stuff on in my uh you know my my world that is really pushing my playing in a direction i i'm very excited about
2: yeah uh, yeah i know like i i did um this this is a number of years ago uh at a a friend who was an artist and uh both a visual artist and and a poet, and she did a a series of paintings, uh, and it's such an uplifting topic on the Holocaust. Um, It was a a series of paintings, and each of them had a poem that was uh, to, uh express what the the concept was behind the painting uh and it was basically a story of a of a family that you know like pre-holocaust as things began you know going through it and then the the final resolution and she said, I always wanted to do this as a piece where it's the visual the the uh the paintings being projected uh I would she would speak the recite the poem and she said I want, music and um so she said would you like to do this and i was like i've never done anything like this before and it was it was supposed to be just improvisation Mm. and so it's me on a stage uh you know with all this other stuff going on and it's just being uh, looking at the painting and then just trying to play something that i felt matched the painting and it was it was challenging i was scared (laughs) out of my my wits but it was really liberating because it's like no I'm not playing changes um no I don't have to to try and sound like anything I just have to look at this and feel what I feel and listen to her words and just express that through the sound and it was it was so liberating to me um
0: yeah it's either what it's either really daunting or really liberating it can be uh, or you know you're not going to respond you have to it's going to make some response come from your maybe really deep inside of you that you don't understand or can't express and I think I mean I've had a lot of experience playing free improvisation as well over the years um but it's whether you can let whether you can actually let that through or not. So that then that, that it's really about you as a person whether you're able to express or whether you're able to uh, access those those emotions and convey them on your instrument. I mean, it's a really that's a big ask what you had to do there. I find that really tough.
2: Oh yeah, it was. Really, and, and, really. and it was it, what was great about it is is it kind of brought into play something that I heard Tim Hagen say at a masterclass, but years yeah. before that. And and Tim is Tim is one of my favorite mm. favorite solos, just-
0: Yeah, me too.
2: So creative. Um, but um, uh, he was saying that you should start every day, like when you get your horn out of the case, you should mm. start with like ten to twenty minutes of just free play. No, uh, okay. No, uh, like you know, not I'm working on my my bebop scale or not I'm playing over changes or anything. It's just mm. whatever you feel comes out the horn no time no style no key center no nothing just play yeah. and that's the best the- because you're you're then exercising your creative muscles yeah it, it was it, when i did that it was like oh yeah this is this is what he's talking about because yeah. you know you just you're letting what you're what you're feeling at that moment just come out the horn yeah. and there's no <laughs> totally. right or wrong there's no you can't play a bad note because no. there's no there's no
0: <laughs> yeah it's great it sounds really really good way to go about trying to because also what he's saying really in a way is you're practicing being that creative being able to access that 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 depth to your improvisation and also practicing genuinely being spontaneous because I, I remember that Lee Konitz did a workshop years ago uh, where I was in London and he said if I'm in a bad mood then you're going to hear that in my playing. If I'm in a good you know I'm not going to show you all my best stuff every time I play. It. You're going to hear you're going to hear the kind of the way I'm feeling that day will come through and if I'm feeling a bit boring you'll I will sound a bit boring and it's like wow I mean obviously he's kind of a, an idealist in term I I feel like that's not how I've been playing a lot of the time. It's been I've been ticking boxes about you've got to deliver this kind of a thing for this specific style of music. Uh, and I think, yeah, and it's a big, it's a big kind of uh, what's your, uh, what's leap of faith or you're just kind of really exposing yourself as well. But it's actually, you know, that can be really like you surprise, if you surprise yourself in your own playing, how amazing could that be? And you go, oh, that's nice <laughs> about your own playing. I remember um, uh, Jeff Keeser, this piano player, saying, saying in a workshop, um, you've got to record yourself. Uh, sometimes and listen to your solos not the bits that you know what you're doing but the bit, the times when you don't and listen to that and and sort of try to try to get into that space and figure out what kind of what you're doing or what you need to do to go back there again and it's to me that that was like something you're saying that to some 18 year old students they're just kind of you know it's, it's a little bit maybe a bit too a bit too metaphysical or something for for everyone to process it when they're trying to get the, the secret codes to the, the burning solo but it's true you know you get you got to kind of go to those places and just see, see inhabit them and start to feel more comfortable with them and not just sort of think oh this is crazy i, I don't know what's going on <laughs> you have to get past that
2: yeah yeah well yeah. i it's it's the ability to with anything to make yeah. progress with anything you have to be able to do that is to to actually look at it um, in a non judgmental way, and yeah. so that you can identify. You know, you, you, I mean, you always have those moments where you, know, you you played a solo, even if it's on a recording, you know, and you've had multiple mm-hmm. takes where you're you listening, you're listening back like a month later, and you go. Oh man, I really probably should have done this. I should have taken yeah. it this direction. Uh, yeah. but, oh well, you know, you you didn't, but but then you you yeah. kind of if you if you put that back in your head, then you know that the next time you're in that situation, that, you're that gonna, that's yeah. the possibility.
0: Yeah, totally. Actually, the thing for me is that I know it's going well. Is when I do some listen back to a show that I've recorded and I do something that I didn't realize I was doing at the time, and that that's really really fun. It's like oh yeah. I did that. And it's like that, that sounds quite nice. so I'll try to remember to do that again. It's like that then maybe that's what Jeff was saying. It's that that sort of approach to playing. So you're actually sort of like observing your own playing as though you're external from it a little bit as well. Because you do you should be finding stuff. You should be going, oh, okay. It's like that. I, I get that all the time. And actually it comes from my rhythmic approach. It's like if I'm if i have destabilized my rhythmic approach a little bit by say doing what I do, do my 12-8 thing but uh, then I, I stumble upon licks of th- things that i didn't know i knew It's that kind of oh i played a louis armstrong lick there by mistake and uh, it it's sort of like something comes into my playing that i would never dream of playing uh, but it's not it's not preconceived it's just sort of uh, that's coming okay i'll play that it's like that that's and it becomes less personal actually in another way and in another, and then in another way more personal because you're open to you're open to what's going on around you and also that, that you're you're opening your consciousness up Beyond the uh, the language that you've been learning that that week in your practice room,
2: yeah, no, that's,
0: fun. Um, um, yeah, that's it's fun.
2: Well, you know, and, and you know, we we're talking earlier about uh, you know, your time at the Royal Academy, and, and at the Royal Academy, you you obviously are getting uh, in many ways the, the creme de la creme of uh, yeah. the music world in uh, in in the area in in the UK, and, and even people. Yeah coming from, from other countries coming to to study there. Um, when, as a teacher, when you're there, I mean, obviously you're, you're trying to, uh, help your students to, uh, reach a, a, a level that maybe they weren't aware that they could reach. Um, but I, sometimes I feel like when, when you're working with the highly talented, that there can sometimes be that barrier, uh, that, uh, they know what they know and they're not always open to uh yeah. new information and new ways of thinking about things. So uh, what I'm sure that you had a few students and we're not gonna we're not gonna mention any names. I'm sure Tom Walsh was one of them, but uh <laughs> I gotta bust Tom. <laughs> uh, very but, good. No, uh, Tom Tom's great guy. I love Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you know, when you have when you run into that student who you know has so much more ahead of them, but but you're trying to break through that that yeah. kind of wall of resistance. What are the some of the ways that, that you go about kind of trying to to worm your way through their their ego defenses? Uh
0: by sharing the love of music with them, like sharing the bit that I love about it, which has nothing to do with whether I'm in I think I'm good or bad at this, you know. And I'm sort of I think i I got that job at the academy when I was young. Uh, perhaps, uh, I think, probably too young in a way, but they, I got the job because of because I was young and I was a kind of rising kind of star in a way of in, in the scene at the time. And that was a sort of strange choice in a way when they could have had somebody perhaps with a lot more experience. They wanted to do something maybe a bit different from what had happened, how it had been beforehand. So it's okay. I, I sort of understand why I was there. Um, but, yeah, we had... Um, and also, I was I was also the the trumpet professor in Berlin at the Jazz Institute all during the same period. So I was kind of doing these two jobs simultaneously for a long time. Uh, and it was the same there. It was, it was perhaps even more difficult to get into Berlin than it was to the Academy in London. Although actually, no, it wasn't. They were both really selective and it was absolutely the, like, one trumpet player maximum a year. I mean, it was that that hard to get in. And so I was really, um, you know, they make me look good. You know, obviously on my CV, I can say I taught Tom. <laughs> and so I take full credit for his his genius. It's all <laughs> down to me. No, it wasn't. Uh, and actually, I taught him for the first year. He was at the academy. And then I went to, I moved to Denmark. So I didn't teach him for more than a, a year, two years tops. But um, it was more to do with when you get someone that good, you just, you just, um, you show them what you do, you talk about what you love about music with them, you say, this helps me, this makes it easier, um, maybe talk about how to kind of focus on the important aspects of music to you, I suppose, and and also to make it show them that um, it's got to, there's got to be a natural flow to the development, really. So I, Tom was... Tom was like pretty much arrived a full article as, you know, and it's it, that's kind of shocking. And I remember a, a colleague of mine said, these students are syllabus proof. It doesn't matter what you tell them. They were really, they knew they were good when they got there. They left good. Like um, uh, the, uh, i've well, I've had a few students like that over the years and it is always a shock. There was one guy in Berlin um, and he's, he's worth checking out. He, he's got to be worth, he's a one to watch called uh, Dima Bondarev and he's Ukrainian um, he was in Berlin, uh, this is maybe 10 years ago or something, and first lesson we were playing, we were playing giant steps in all keys in seven, <laughs> and it's like, and I had this guy for the next four years, he's like, what am I going to do with you for the next four years, it's like, I don't actually, you know, and, and of course there is stuff to work on with him, you know, it was stuff to work on with him, and, because there's there's the thought process behind what you do there's raising your awareness to what especially someone who's so naturally able to play both technically and musically That you need to sort of ask them what they're trying to say and and try to start to define their 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 own thing their own voice their own uh preferences in music what they what they're trying to create their it's kind of it's not that easy it's probably the hardest kind of student but to, to have because it's it's really hard as you as we say it's just hard to kind of find a way to to get them to uh drop their brilliance for a minute and start to to kind of explore things that are, are irrelevant of your level of ability yeah so yeah and actually a lot of the students who looking back because I, I I left the academy quite a few years ago now uh when I moved to Denmark so it was I, I kind of hung on in there for a while and I think the academy cut me loose really in the end it was I was trying to do too many things all at the same time. Uh, but anyway, I, um, I was looking at um, some... I look at the students now. I'm really proud of the students, not just the trumpet players, but of all of them. There were just so many great players who are doing really good things. Often, the ones that are doing the best now, I think, professionally speaking, will have the most interesting careers even, were the ones who were not necessarily the stars of the year group that they were in. They, they were the ones who were... Maybe feeling a bit lucky to have got into the course, and were kind of saying, "Oh, yeah, I wish I was as good as that person," and and not really kind of wallowing in their brilliance um, because they, so they, there's a lack of complacency about their learning, and they they're prepared, and it doesn't mean that they don't become brilliant. It's just that they were they were moderately talented and didn't have an attitude on them, and got and and did uh, worked and got it together, and I've seen that. There's some amazing trumpet players that I I feel are um, and thing, so so Tom is a really nice mixture of both because he's he's so he's very humble about his musical um, profile if you like but he's doing amazing things and that's that's great so he's, he doesn't he's just doing music he's making music he's doing his thing um, he doesn't he's not he's not saying I'm great or in any he doesn't you don't feel you're getting that from him at all there's no air of that. Coming from him, he's just really into what he's doing, and he loves to roll up his sleeves and and see how good he can do what he's doing, or just just doing it. Really, I think. Yeah. So um, yeah, yeah. Do you know, I, it's not been. It, then probably though. There have not been the most rewarding teaching experiences for me. Those kinds of students. I've really enjoyed doing what I actually far more now. Where I don't work for any institution, and I work with people who want to study with me. Doesn't mean they don't study at institutions, but I'm on my own, and it's. Um, it's so much more interesting. I've got students from all over the world, all age groups, all levels of ability, doing all sorts of different styles of music. Um, and it's really, really fun because it's. I'm meeting uh, interesting musicians. With I, I got a guy uh, last week started with me from Chile. I've never taught anyone from Chile before. And I was thinking, well, I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like, okay, let's see what happens here. And he's great. And he's great because he's like, he played for me and it's just so... But he's playing from here and that to me is like a million times more useful or more rewarding to kind of connect with a musician who's playing from their heart um, than any anything else that I, I've encountered really. So I'm I'm really interested in uh music as a this kind of great communicating thing and, and looking at, at how we can uh cultivate, how we can discover our own voice in it. Um, a merit you know being re- as good as we can be uh is not always what how the internet <laughs> kind of presents it to us um so uh it's just about you know fine because most people aren't aren't trumpet players are, are not all kind of screaming trumpet players and we're all aren't super shredding trumpet players uh so we should maybe uh when we're working on what we're doing it should be more kind of like let's let's look at our our heroes a little bit more and think about what we're trying to get from them and what, what what we're looking maybe also just trying to make a beautiful sound make the trumpet easy to play having good ideas on your instrument and being able to kind of get them onto your instrument as easily as you can it's like that these are really nice um objectives that we can all achieve yeah it's a lot not much it's, it's a lot easier to deal with as well on <laughs> teaching and.
2: the other stuff yeah yeah yeah, uh, absolutely um yeah it it, it's kind of um i mean it's interesting like looking at your career and and, you know the 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 arc that you've taken and and the you know the the path that you're currently on um and i've had this conversation with a number of people uh about the thing that you know like you were saying earlier that you've had a lot of gigs that, that other people were would you know, they they, they they would be like the, the best gig in the world to have that, yeah. it. and it's like, hey, it's hey, okay, whatever, uh, and not not in the negative way, but it just no, it didn't speak to negative. you. It, it's not yeah. it's not you, um, and I think that that so many times uh, as teachers, regardless of whether it's teaching trumpet or or anything else. Um, mm-hmm we as the as the teacher have this concept of what success looks like and that may not be what that person what our student or, or the person or yeah. wants or needs in their life and having that ability to say you know my job is to help you to become the best possible version of you regardless yeah. of what i might think that that is just yeah. to help you to mm-hmm. on your journey so um yeah. I mean, it, is that kind of uh, has has that been a theme in your life as, as you know on outside of the horn as well?
0: Yeah, I think I didn't. In, in some respects, it wasn't. Dis, it was decided for me that I was going to be a trumpet player by my by my over enthusiastic parents. <laughs> so it's okay that this all happens. I mean, it was done with the best possible intentions, but but I think that then the rest of the, my life has been about, well, which bits of this do I, did I actually want to do <laughs> myself? And, and of course I love it. I absolutely love playing, but I need to love it in my own vision, in my own uh, way. So I think that the, the profession, of course, you know, of course you're going to become a professional player of the instrument that you love playing if, you, if you're if you good at it and you work hard at it and you want to do it and then you will work. That's what I'm actually been working towards, you know, so it's sort of like, you, you, then then it's life is about reevaluation. you don't just get to where you need to be and stay there for good that of course that would be weird um and actually our world is so it's changing so frequently and the the kind of maybe the systems or the see, music scenes that we thought we would drift into we you could one could drift into and find yourself there forever they don't that doesn't happen anymore so so we do have um these nice, uh, although it's annoying and difficult. In another way, we have these portfolio careers where we have to try, we have to do different stuff, and teaching becomes part of that. For example, um, and uh, playing different kinds of music, doing community music, perhaps uh, loads, just anything and everything that relates to something in our, you know, in what we do, and and to not necessarily have it. It's not about how music provides a service doesn't it to commit to society and and, and that's what I'd rather think about uh, the problem for me sometimes I would say uh, in all this is because I was so on track like a like to win the trumpet race when I was young that that sometimes a perception of me as a teacher can be that you i I've heard this a few times from students who've, who've been brave enough to get in touch for lessons is that that's never the way I, you know, and also cause I have had some Tom Walsh's in my, <laughs> in my closet. <laughs> like my I've got, I've had some, I've got some very, very great trumpet players that have studied with me and still do, you know, and that's, I'm really, I love that too, but um, sometimes it prevents people, put puts people off getting in touch. And actually that's just not what it's about. And the way that I, have play, been presented a little bit sometimes, or even presented myself, in order to, to 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 keep the gigs coming in. Is that I'm, you know, doing something at a very high level? And I maybe I um maybe I think that puts people off actually, because that's not my that's not how I think of music. Um, it's just if you're going to do something, you want to do it well. I, I I that's how I feel about playing. So I've, I've done my best, uh, but I don't want that that what I do is about isn't about that. My my best isn't someone else's best, um, and someone's better than me, someone's worse than me. That's really irrelevant. That maybe that's what we're saying um, when we talk about those great players too that that we come come across. Um, sometimes you know you get to talk to when you talk to really brilliant players, they're so interested in it, the music. They're not interested in their own level of brilliance. They're into it. They're into it. It's just like they love it. It's their it's their world. I remember meeting. Um, Enrico Rava this fantastic trumpet player from Italy who's like he's kind of royalty in Italy he's been he's about 80 odd and he's he's like he's just brilliant creative improvising trumpet player and I met him in a bar in Copenhagen uh he's a coffee bar mind and I I, I was walking past it's like shit that's Enrico Rava I have to go it's like there's no I had to go talk to him so I went in and I I said, I'm really sorry, I'm the trumpet player. I, you're Enrico, rather. Hello, nice to meet you. And within about five minutes, we were talking about mouthpieces and our favourite Bix Beidebecq solos. <laughs> I thought, this is great. This is what, <laughs> I like that, you know, and I should have been, perhaps I should have been sort of saying, oh, I really love your playing. I did say that, actually, I do. Uh, but it was more to do with the connection. He didn't want to talk about how great he was. He wanted to talk about things, he's, his mouthpiece that he's, you know, likes and, and his favourite, favourite, 1920s big spiderweck uh solo which is quite a bizarre thing to talk about with somebody who plays so out there you know it's really funny so yeah, i kind of think that's that's where it leads you start to realize that your favorite musicians the ones who you even like idolize were probably um just really into the music and if they weren't then they were very fortunate to be that good without being into it in that way but i generally find that people who I think are great musicians that have a, a, a real love for it, regardless. It's it's a selfless thing. I think it's very much that way.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, it's, it, it's at the end of the day, we're all, we're all people, you know, we're all human and, and uh, you know, and, and I think that that's been one of the things that's obviously one of the things that's, that's driven why I do this podcast. Um, yeah. But, it's also because I've been in so many different situations where, like the tables are turned. I mean, you know, certainly you have the hero worship. You're looking at people in the, that you admire and you respect, and then suddenly you find yourself in a different uh, situation, and then you have these people that are looking at you and going, "Oh, you know, I I wish I could be like you," and, mm. and like and it's. It, it, it kind of it creates this interesting juxtaposition where you're like, oh, well, I'm thinking of that that this person is so great. And and then I have people look at me and saying that I'm so great, but I'm really just a human. So maybe that person is a human, too. And I would say, so, yeah, it, it gets us past that fear of like, well, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a, a musician or an athlete or an actor or a business person, it doesn't matter what they are. You know, yeah. we're all great at what we do. But that doesn't mean we're great at everything that we do, and so no. you know, so, uh, you know I, I remember hanging out with you know a bunch of uh, you know guys at at uh, International Trumpeters Guild one years. Uh, it was me, Wayne Bergeron, uh, who else is in that group? Uh, Bobby Hsu, uh Frank Green, but yeah, a bunch of bunch of really you know super talented, yeah, Trumpers, yeah. and we're just yeah. all, you know, and we went about two hours with. Out talking about trumpet yeah and that's we're, nice we're talking i'd, I'd like that you Yeah, know we're about sports we're talking about food we're talking about you know mm-hmm. this and that the other thing and it's like oh yeah these these are people and yeah, yeah and it's sometimes hard to keep that in mind that at the end of the day we're all people and as people one of the things that we need we we want we crave is connection and yeah. when we find somebody that we can resonate with and for yeah. us it's music you know yeah. for other people may something else but when you can resonate with someone then you yeah. you you, be, you come away hopefully you come away from the the interaction uh, with a, a higher level of energy a higher vibrational state if you will yeah. you you've melded your your love for something and it's just yeah. you to feel better about what you do
0: Yeah, connection. I mean, that's also then within music, that's why it's great to play music is the connection part of it. And so much of our time is spent on our own practising, uh, but well, maybe it should be, but, you know, it's uh, that's, the, uh, that's the thing. It's hard to, hard to sort of get ready for those connections musically if you're on your own in a room doing something repetitively to try to get up to the right level and that, that's your way of thinking um so i think it's really important to get playing with other people i really do so that that's got to be why we do it um but i yeah i think i think it's really nice to hear that because i i mean I, I don't know all of those trumpet players you described but i've met a couple of them and they, they're just nice people that you'd want to sort of have a cup of tea with even <laughs> you know it's like they, they're just nice nice people who are thinking about music and i think the problem for for anyone who's doing something where they work really hard and they're regarded highly regarded in their profession is that actually um it's what they do you know it's what sometimes facebook is a little bit annoying in that way is that you see musicians saying today's office and it's like yeah you're on a gig you're a professional musician get over it (laughs) it's that's what we do so i appreciate that there's a certain amount of you know that's about trying to keep the keep keep it going and trying to get keep work coming in and everything but i feel like you know, we, we're doing this uh, and that's, uh, it's fantastic. It's a real honour to do what we do, but also that it's like we, we, when you're in it, you're doing it. And I, I like that. I also like that very much. It's a very much a sort of, uh, like, I like as much as I'm, I'm a soloist, I've, I've really enjoyed being part of a team in that way in music. I think it's been lovely to, to, to kind of realise that I can't bring everything to the table in music, in, in, on, when I'm playing, it has to be about, you're only as good as the band that you're playing with. Um, And I think that's really, really nice to know. And I think that any kind of communication, I think I remember doing a gig once where it was a quartet where it was supposed to be a very, very good band. On paper, we were all like, very good on our instruments and that's why we were booked <laughs> and it's like and actually the uh, first set went down and it actually it really wasn't happening you know it just didn't really nothing was connecting everybody was like really just kind of not able to be in the moment and actually i i said uh, it's not happening is it you know it's just not when it, it's not really nothing's really going on is it and and it was almost like a taboo that you you should never say something like that and just because i said it it broke something and then the second half was really good so I'm glad I did. <laughs> so, but but I think a lot of the time is a lot that that that's not always possible because you somebody could get upset. So you have to be careful. But I think it's okay to say if something's not going well. Yeah. Um, as well, it, it can at least you can start well, what can we do? You know, okay. How or can we
2: fix it? If you don't identify yeah. that there is a problem, then it, that problem yeah. get fixed. It, it anything no. probably get worse. You know,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of kind of mystique about about music that these things shouldn't have to be said, but I think they can be. I don't want to go. The thing that I find quite difficult, and I I'm, I'm I have to really steal myself from doing it, is not to take over. Right, to so, say, so, right. I did this album a couple of weeks ago, and I, I really felt I that somebody needed to be there producing a little bit more, a little bit more demonstratively, and it wasn't happening, and and I kind of felt my Instinct to kind of go, okay, right, let's do. It, it kind of felt like I, I need mean, somebody need to do it, and I thought, no, no, it's not mine. It's, it's okay. I'm just going to be, be, be here and and let them feel it out themselves because you know that's good for them actually to do that too, isn't it? People need to realise that something needs to, and if it's not, it doesn't have to be. Um, you have to fix everything all the time. Anyway, that's that's my problem. <laughs>
2: uh, no, I, yeah, no, I, I I, yeah, I, I have yeah. that. Greek as well. It's like, uh, I, I don't like to be in charge. Not it's my at intention to, yeah. to be in charge of everything. But if, if there's a, if there's a vacuum that needs mm-hmm. to be filled, I usually end up being the person who fills the vacuum. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's mostly because of just my passion of, of, not perfectionist it's just whatever i do i just want to do the best that i can and i want it to be the best experience for everybody and so sometimes i hear somebody stepping in and just saying hey maybe we should think about this or we should maybe go in this direction and and uh yeah
0: yeah yeah it's funny isn't it i i I just think it's uh it's really i think it's really nice when you realize uh we when i've been booking, like for example when i was when i've done gigs or I've toured with really famous people and they're just really nice people, you know, and they kind of you can have breakfast with them in the hotel and they're not going to be weird with you. I remember having nice touring experiences with John Schofield. he's just a really nice person to hang around with. And he's got no, no attitude on him at all. Uh, perhaps he should, you know, and a lot of them, my favorite players are like that, actually, they're just very straightforward and they're not, they don't, they, 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 they're very, but they feel like they're like you you feel like you're like them and it's that kind of feeling We're all in it together. And I, I love that.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: So that's maybe, that's maybe one reason why I'd go back to playing again, like in, in the way I was before is just to get back into that feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have to choose the people you play with. I think that's, then it becomes a, bit, a little bit more discerning in that way. Yeah. So you, you make sure you're playing with people who have a right, the right vibe, not just as a, yeah, on and off the stage.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. it, 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 it it does come down to what's most uh, important to you at that stage <laughs> of your life and yeah, yeah, yeah you, know, you can't yeah, I think that's sometimes where we run into problems because we're always comparing ourselves um mm. to others and yeah. you know and and having these kind of false ideas about about what what things should be and mm. when when we can become true to ourselves, then that's when we actually do not only ourselves, but we do the world the best service. Um, yeah. And and we need, yeah, we, we certainly need people that are uh, doing what you did in the earlier part of your career that are just doing everything mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah. on, on the ground. Yeah, we need people to do that. And we need people that are mm-hmm. going to be more selective and more, uh, you know, uh, very yeah. dialed in and specific on what they do. And yeah. there's for all of us.
0: I do know. There have been a few students I've had over the years where I've seen them coming through, and they've got something really great about their playing. Maybe even like a sort of style of music which really suits what they do. And I said to them, just occasionally, it's it's kind of careful one to say, is like, why not not become the the kind of the, the, the brilliant player in all situations and just focus on your own thing completely. And there, there is a, in your, the European sort of improvised music scene, there are people who do that. And often it's from the countries that really fund their artists to do that specifically. So uh, you get quite a lot of really interesting Norwegian musicians because they, their government will pay for them just to do their own thing for their entire life. Um, I mean, maybe that's a bit idealistic of me to say that because I'm sure someone Norwegian is going to say, no, that's not what it's like. It's terrible and it's really hard. But I reckon compared to a lot of other places, they get, they get a lot of help. Um, and that they do where I am in Denmark, actually, they do get a lot of help to just do their own thing. Um, and sometimes that's a brilliant thing, and you just think, I wonder what would have happened if I just like, because I, I had solo projects when I was young. I was kind of going in that direction after Cantaloupe, getting my own band together, doing something a bit kind of uh, my own thing, and which was a little bit groovy, a little bit funk based sort of stuff. Um, if I'd really stuck at it, if I just kind of stayed doing it um, and nothing else, if I'd said no to all of the other offers that were coming in to me to do other things, and I just said no, this is my band, this is what we do, this is what I do. Whether that would have changed the course of my my you know career, and I'm not necessarily saying I wish I'd done that because I'm not sure. I'm not sure I entirely believed it. That's why I didn't do it. I mean, I didn't. I know maybe I didn't realize that at the time. But I, I some some people you look at them, you think. You should really just do your own thing, and I think these days, because because the pathways are so unclear, I think there's more room for some for musicians, young musicians coming through, to to actually really specialise in what they in in a style of style of music that they're really passionate about, and just to stay with it for their whole life. Um, it, obviously, that will develop and change over time, but it will produce interesting results you know we get I, I really there's quite a, a load of Norwegian trumpet players who I, I watch because they they got this space uh, to do that uh, a little bit there's a um, like Thomas Stanko the Polish trumpet player I don't think he was doing anything for anyone ever you know that he didn't want to do you know it's that kind of he was really on his own own journey um and we don't see I think maybe there could be more scope for art, trumpet playing artists uh, as, as well as other instruments, like to, to just really do this kind of uh, playing, have that kind of a playing life. Yeah. Um, I intend to have one like that, that myself, actually, uh, from now on, but uh, I might not, might not as well. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But um, that's what, if I'm doing it, that's how I'm doing it. I've uh-huh. just decided. Thanks. <laughs>
2: i uh, happy happy to provide you a... Uh, yeah, thank
0: you, thank you, yeah, yeah. Trumpet <laughs> therapy.
2: <laughs> That'll be my next podcast, trumpet therapy. Yeah,
0: um, yeah I think so, yeah. We'll have a lot right. of people on that one, I tell you. <laughs> um,
2: I, 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 yeah.
0: yeah.
2: All right, well, I tell you what, uh, I mean, we could certainly talk for, about all of this stuff for, for hours and hours, but I do have yeah. four specific segments we got to get through, and the first okay. one is brought to us by our mutual friend, Mr... Brian Davis. Okay, okay, great. And this is in Airflow Music, and this is called Go Practice. Okay. And Go Practice is uh, about, uh, you know, kind of your approach to practice. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I've been asking, I I have actually a very specific question or set of questions that I've I've asked uh, everybody since I started this. and it's uh, mostly geared towards uh those of us me speaking about me uh who are not the full-time professional uh player you know um and and even when you are a professional player and you're out there working uh you find yourself often limited in your ability to have a a, a, a consistent practice routine their day okay. you, where you've got 8 hours nothing to do and you can just you know spend your time shedding and there's there are days when when you don't have time to do anything before you're hit so yeah you know when when you're if if you're giving advice to someone about you know what what are the essentials that you feel that should be addressed in for yourself or for any for a player what should you address every day and then what are some kind of things that you can like here's some gravy you know when you got an extra time let's look at this one
0: Okay, so uh, at the moment, uh, well, first of all, I got to this thing where I felt that with practice, the worst thing you can do, first thing is to, to think about how good it sounds first off. So what you do critically at the very beginning of your practice really matters so that you're not necessarily listening to what you're playing yet. So just give yourself a little bit of time. to to get the air flowing through the trumpet. There are different things to do. Um, For me, there's a bit of Bill Adam kind of stuff, uh, Clark things. But for me, the main thing is that I've actually quite got into um, fast flexibilities. Uh, So flexibilities played at high speed. Uh, sound don't sound great at all, but when I'm, I'm not trying to play them correctly. If I wanted to play them correctly, I'd play them a bit slower. But what I'm doing is like throwing the air at the trumpet and seeing if I can click around harmonics on the trumpet uh, without trying too hard. So it's not gonna be perfect pit, perfect intonation in my playing, but just to get the flow of air through the trumpet to try to also to decentralize my awareness from this little place here into more of the rest of my body. So I do some lead pipe things, um i do some very fast, as i say fast flexibility things i'm quite into the idea of playing things fast through the valves um because if you play fast through the valves as though it's a flexibility then you later on when you're blowing when you are playing music and you are controlled and you are using your valves more like they're they actually make a, a difference to what your pitch then you um you you work harder mechanically on the trumpet. So I kind of want to get our breathing quite quite sort of like simple in a way, like flowing, get my airspeed fast, not just at the top of the trumpet, but everywhere. Um, so yeah, that that kind of thing takes about 10 minutes. Uh, then I need to introduce some really kind of like figure out I just need to kind of position my my single tongue so that the articulate any kind of articulation I'm using that involves my single tongue doesn't um, doesn't interfere with this nice flow of air that I've got going. Okay, so that so once that's working, then I can practice a little bit of articulation that I use in my my improvising or just generally. Um, And and with that, again, I want to kind of make it so that any articulation I use is built into a kind of, it sounds legato. So for me, a a modern trumpet player, not a classical one, but it can use articulation and nobody will know about it if you're doing it right. But it has a strong rhythmic grounding in it. So... So I've got to get that going, and one of the things that I notice with people, especially professional players or people who don't realise, is that their articulation is often too hard hitting and too destructive, too, too disruptive of the airflow. So you could set up a brilliant airflow um, and then go and mess it up massively once you start playing music. So I really want to kind of get get it so the position the the where the single tongue hits inside my mouth, so I don't get in the way of the I don't tongue into the aperture. Uh, as much as I can avoid doing that Um, so often I'm raising people's uh, single tongue a bit higher so that they don't Um, and then and then you're good to go now what I just described doesn't take ages and I spent I spent years needing to do a lot of warming up before I felt like I was uh, able to go and play Uh, now I think I can be warmed up in about five to ten minutes because it's about remembering what needs to happen and just kind of Remi- reminding your body of how it needs to feel and then coordinating that and that's actually a lot faster than I realized so it's, that's kind of fun actually and I'd love to show I mean if you check it I've got a few things if you look on my Facebook page but actually I've sort of shifted things over to my student Facebook page recently because I want to kind of get, make it a little bit more a bit more specific to the people who I'm working with but um, I'm, I'm really uh, into a kind of loose Approach to playing to start with, and then as we get more into the music that we're playing, or, or, or exercises that you want to play correctly, then you start to uh, bring back the musician sensibilities and and trying to play things in tune and everything. So, it's hard to explain it without giving you the exercises. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say I'm re I'm definitely not reinventing the well. No, I'm definitely reinventing the wheel, but but I think that the my approach is to look for the most comfortable way to play that you can have like so sometimes when it's comfortable you don't trust it because it's like this is a bit too relaxed you know I had a student say to me recently I was on a gig and uh, he said I was on a gig and it it was playing the gig and it just felt a little bit like I wasn't taking it seriously because I felt quite relaxed it's like no no that's a good thing that's an improvement this is like repetitive stuff that he's been playing for a while started to think it was easier than it than it should be that's what we want so yeah that's what I'm after, anyway. So, so I don't know whether, in terms of, yeah, so fast flexibilities. Uh, there's a thing that Ryan Kaiser does on a, a thing that Winton posted on YouTube a couple of years ago, where he's playing this really fast chromatic diat from bottom C, just going uh, down chromatically and hitting the fifth on like diyayayayay like a yodeling sound, and he does it ridiculously fast. Uh, and um, I spent ages trying to work out how he did that, That's, as I'm sure a lot anyone who's seen it is like going, how do you do that then? Because it doesn't sound possible. And it's because he, I think it's because the airspeed is really fast and he doesn't care about the fifth that he's jumping to. It was just sort of the air hits it for him. It just jumps up the harmonic. It clicks it up to the next harmonic. And so he's just going, he's just hitting the bottom notes and, and the airspeed plays the other notes for you so i've been i've been kind of collecting exercises like that for about the last year and i've I've built them into some exercises i'm going to write i'm writing a book on it at the moment so that should hopefully be around by the end of the year
2: well awesome i will certainly yeah. keep an eye out for that and yeah uh, you know once, well, once once the book gets released you have to come back on the show yeah.
0: Oh, that'll be lovely. Well, I'm never going to release anything on a proper company on a proper publishing company ever again because I did that with my first book and I I made like nothing. <laughs> so and it and it did sell, but I made nothing from it. So this time it'll be you know you have to get in touch with me if you want the book. So bear wow. that in mind as well. I mean, I can be made friends with on Facebook. That's possible. Uh,
2: okay. um, yeah. Friendly guy.
0: Uh, yeah, quite friendly. Oh. I've actually make make friends with my. You can follow me on my my band page that's probably the best place to go to because I put stuff up there and tell you what I'm up to. Um, yeah, that, that would be great. And also, as I said, I've got this soft, quiet and low thing. So have a look at that if for anybody who's out there just to, to hear trumpet players doing things at the other end of the, the, the other end of the range and, and interesting projects and diverse forms of music as well.
2: I, I didn't, I didn't think trumpets could play soft, quiet and low, but. That... No, they, they,
0: they can't. No, I just, you know. <laughs> other
2: the trombone.
0: <laughs> all right. oh
2: yeah yeah i heard about that <laughs> <laughs> all right cool well let's get on to uh, our next segment our next segment yeah, is by uh, cool. uh, michael barkley of barkley microphones this is called oh, sound yeah. um and sound about your approach to sound and hmm. you have uh a i let, let, as we think about it like in terms of your, your career arc when when you were uh, when you were younger, you obviously, uh, you know, we talked about the influences you had, and you know, the the sound that you had, and and, and playing all these these various uh, kind of gigs, uh, maybe required a little more flexibility in your sound, uh, depending on the gig that you were on. Um, and as you kind of dial into creating your own unique voice, then you have your own mm-hmm. unique voice. Um, so when you're working with a student, uh, you know, how, how do you su- suggest they go about developing a sound that is, uh, both versatile, uh, mm. but also very personal?
0: I don't think you should try to be versatile. I think that's the mistake I made. That's one of the things i tell, i go back in my time machine to tell Gerard and 1985 <laughs> So say don't try and do everything just you know find a um I think it's about uh, for me one of the things it's a bit like when I try a new trumpet the first thing I'll do with a new trumpet is play it quietly and see what comes out you know it's like that so it, it's, it also relates to what we're talking about within practice actually it's like don't don't force anything to exist just see what's there let, let your air and see, see how you can make something respond so for me uh, developing your sound is about developing um developing uh, response on the instrument so you have to find the, the 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 response the first response on your instrument and 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 be comfortable become comfortable with that that's that's everything to me then you can do anything at all Anything, you can then be Jerry Hay or you can be Winton or you can be, you know, there's so many different directions, but these are players who who are looking for response uh, first and foremost, and then you can turn the volume up or down beyond that. Um, I'm going for a nice sound. I suppose Like my jazz um, background is is a kind of dark, dark sound. I I think that's just what I gravitate towards, but actually this kind of more classical improvisational stuff I've been doing, I've been looking more at a warmer sound. That's something to try to think about as well. Um, but I, you know, I've done a lot of pop things and i played very bright, you know, sort of you know the bright end of the trumpet and i i have not changed from my one c for a long time it's been the same setup i've had for a a long time and it doesn't mean i'm like the most useful the trumpet player but i can do it i can sit in a section and do that stuff because i think it's about how fast you move the air when you play high notes or when you're playing in that end of the when you're phrasing in a in a kind of pop section it's about the brightness of the sound and that, that can be done through the speed of your air um, and dealing with um, kind of uh, dealing with fast air airstream and, and central tongue position and how you control that um, I learned a lot from uh, when we were, when I was in Denmark for a little while Adam Rapper was playing in the, in the big band for a while on Mead and I noticed that he didn't he didn't need to shift like he didn't need to change his gear that much to be able to play very very different color kind of trumpet playing so I, I i decided i wasn't gonna kind of get different gear for different occasions so so i think it can all be done uh, but you just need to think about how also thing for me with pop stuff is all about articulation and phrasing so you if you work that out in advance perhaps down the octave even then you when you go up there then your your approach isn't necessarily just about kind of trying to stay up stay up at the top of the instrument which um obviously doesn't always make people that bright like doesn't give them a bright sound just because they're playing loud and high um so so like that that end of the trumpet doesn't need to be hit that hard i think
2: cool like it yeah good all right good all right now you're already kind of Gravitated towards this, this is our, our is. segment. Uh, this is uh, called Geared Up. Geared Up is brought us, uh, brought to us by Venture, I, help, uh, I have trouble speaking this yeah. morning. Uh, Geared okay. Up, by Venture Mouthpieces, uh, Venture where technology design and craftsmanship intersect. Mm-hmm. Use the code Gurus 21 to get 10% off your order. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hey, I'll, there you go. Uh, okay. So this is about kind of your concepts of gear, but uh, as you kind of been yeah. into, uh, you know, you you talked about your mouthpiece a little bit and and uh, the way you approach the horn. Um, you know, what are some of the other things that that you think are, are kind of critical when people are looking for the the equipment that mm. that's going to give them the best ability to produce the kind of sound and create the music that they they need to create?
0: Yeah, I think. Um, so this is where the kind of versatility issue comes into the gear. I don't think we should get. Uh, a great big jazz trumpet with all the mudguards and everything that they, that, that some people play. And actually, you know, even Winton doesn't play that all the time, does he anymore? Mm. So it's like, and you know, you, yeah, anyway, without, it's not a Monette thing. It's more actually the ones that, that look like Monettes that aren't Monettes. Because I think that a dark trumpet that only gives you a dark, dark sound was, will not enable you to play a load of other things without other in other situations so I want uh, my trumpet is a it's amazing I have the best trumpet ever actually I'm so happy with it it's like I've never been able to say that but I'm very pleased with it but it's a guy it's a guy in Copenhagen who's making these trumpets and uh, um, he's copied uh, the nine, early 1950s bar and it's a it's not a medium large it's a medium it's like it's very light actually so I play quite a small, smallest trumpet now with a big mouthpiece. And I remember like the old lead trumpet player in the BBC big band said to me that you either, and he was like, he was a kind of a bit of a Yoda guy, you know, he'd been playing forever. And he said, it's either a big mouthpiece and a small trumpet or a small trumpet and a big mouthpiece. No, hang on, that's not right. Big mouthpiece and small trumpet or a small mouthpiece and a big trumpet. That was it. So it's kind of, so I went for the big mouthpiece and small trumpet. But I did go through a period where I, I wanted great big trumpets. Uh, that made me sound a certain way, but actually, I don't. Th- I think it's all in here, you know. It's in or in you that that these different approach, different uh, timbre that we're trying to achieve. So, so I've got a trumpet that would do everything really nicely. I think Um it's just like a really good bark.
2: Yeah. Well. Yeah. I I like that uh, that uh small mouthpiece, big horn or big horn or small horn. Big yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 that sounds very weird, but yes, I know we, we know what we mean. We know what we mean no,
2: but because honestly, um, I, I have been I've always played big horns and yeah. I didn't go to a small horn for a while, but I was, I was playing a small horn but trying to use the same mouthpiece that I was using on my bigger horns. Yeah, and that's it didn't work for me, and I'm back to yeah. using actually a much smaller mouthpiece than I've ever played in my life, mm. uh, but. A slightly larger horn, and okay. it, it, it seems to balance. You know, I've got all this resistance yeah. the front, and then it just opens up as it plays. And
0: yeah, for me, I, I want a big mouthpiece because I think my embouchure is a little bit odd. It is just like slightly unorthodox, and I quite like to get it all it, it, as much of it inside the cup as I can. And I I think that's just personal. It's absolutely about my face. Yeah. Um, but then also, I when I was a kid, when I was doing, I was touring. Uh, and uh, we were, it was this thing with the drummer from the, the Rolling Stones. He used to play jazz, or he, God bless him, but he, he used to play jazz, and we did this gig where uh, Red Rodney came and guested with us, and he died about a year later, so was, I got to spend a day with Red Rodney. It was amazing. It's kind of surreal. I was about 19. He was so lovely, such a sweet guy. And uh, he talked about trumpets and it was just at that, the advent of big chunky trumpets were coming through then. And, and he said, Oh, that's really dumb. You know, he's really like very outspoken about it. And I really wanted one. I wanted to get the full, you know, and he said, no, no, you need, and he had a really tiny tr- He had played on a bench, I think. And he played a really small mouthpiece as well, like a alcast or something. And he sounded amazing. Actually, that's the thing. That's what I remember. He sounded, he was so, it was such a, he was, it, it wasn't i I don't know kind of what sound he should have got out of that horn, but it, it wouldn't have mattered what he played. <laughs> it was really, but it, it was, so got, he said, but I remember him saying, it's just got to be easy. You've got to make it as, you don't want to make your life difficult. You know, it's hard enough. And I, over the years, that's, that resonated with me more and more because I think, you know, any trumpet that makes you have to practice to be good enough to play it I don't think i ever want to play that trumpet anymore and also i've had trumpets that are kind of slightly you know have brilliant sound but they're a bit out of tune with themselves because they're a bit quirky a bit old or a bit you know something and I, I won't do that again i won't i will not do that again it's not worth it <laughs> i need to make it nice and you know straightforward
2: i'm with you i'm with yeah. you I'm gonna make it as easy as possible especially yeah. As yeah. <laughs> so yeah yeah okay all right awesome all right final segment uh final yes. segment the robinson's remedy rapid fire rounds brought just by robinson's remedy rapid relief for your sore and tired chops and this is just a series of questions that kind of bounces all over the place just need your quick oh <laughs> the quickest response uh from uh you uh on this series of questions are you ready gerard okay yes right, here we go First question for you, uh, who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player?
0: As a trumpet player? Oh, As, God, uh, you, you can't, that's impossible questions,
2: right? Who is not a trumpet player?
0: Oh, who's not a trumpet player? Oh, shit, that's even harder. Um, <laughs> okay, can, you move, can we come back to that one? Did that be all right? Uh, and I won't have an answer for you when we come back to it either. Is uh, that okay? <laughs> 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 Next. Sorry. That's what's your yeah. favorite book? My favorite what, sorry? I missed that one. What's your favorite book? Book. Oh my god, this is oh wow. Okay, we'll have to come back to that one as well. <laughs> come on, you, it...
2: you're passing on too. One one more <laughs>
0: That's really hard. I can't. I can't answer that question. in I mean, there's so many things. I have the a copy of the Dalai Lama's book next to my bed. Is that? That's probably. I can at least say it's next to my bed. But yeah,
2: there's too many. Sorry. All right. All right. Okay. What's the worst movie you've ever seen?
0: The worst movie I've ever seen. Um, I saw the last, the latest Top Gun film because my son wanted to see it recently. That was really hilariously terrible. I did quite quite enjoy it, to be honest. But anyway, don't tell anyone.
1: Sometimes
2: bad movies are good movies. Yeah. Uh, uh, If you were not a trumpet player, what would you want to be?
0: Um, (laughs) A musician. (laughs) Is that allowed? No, no. I think I'd like to do something. I'd probably like to write something. I would like to do some writing, Uh, thinking, thinking, writing. Yeah.
2: Writing. All right. What's your favorite drink?
0: Uh, a cup of tea, Oh, Grey.
2: Okay. Uh, you could have a dinner party and yeah. invite any three living people, any three people in the world that are still alive, who would you want to have at that party?
0: Well, these are really tough questions you're asking here. I mean, it's not like it, these are not quick fire questions. This, I think I'd need a couple of weeks to think about this, actually. Like I should have asked you in advance, in fact, kind of thing. Um Oh, I don't know. I do hang out with nice people I and mean, they I do have interesting conversations. But yeah, I, it, yeah, I, I really, that's a really tough question. I, I, there are lots of really, I, I mean, there are maybe a few kind of think... Yeah, I get, I'm really sorry. I'm doing really badly at
2: this. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we get the Dalai Lama. I mean, he could sign, he could yeah, he come.
0: come. Okay, let's have him. Let's have him. <laughs> <laughs> the Pope and um no, no
2: I don't know actually I'm not like gonna a, have a Dalai Lama the Pope and <laughs> someone
0: else yeah no a comedian of some kind yeah yeah <laughs> I don't know uh, Will Ferrell
2: <laughs> he could be fun but that, that would okay. be <laughs> let's Dal- do that Will Ferrell man that's sounds... yeah, let's do it let's have that that's good okay good, good. Sure, videotape uh, okay yeah, uh, so same thing, same scenario, you know, having this dinner party, but you can't have three any three people from history. Any three people mm. that are Okay, well
0: I think we should definitely have Clifford Brown, because we don't know much about him really, other than actually, do you know what I did talk to someone about him once who was a, a an alto sax player who played with him. Actually, a couple of sax players who I played with who played with him. Um and they all said he was really lovely. So I think I'd like to meet Clifford Brown. I think so. Let's meet Clifford Brown. Um uh, so uh, anyone else? Yeah. I mean, I can't just be trumpet players. Can it, but I, I am intrigued. I quite like to meet, I wouldn't mind meeting Charlie Parker actually that might be nice. And I'd maybe like to meet John Coltrane as well. Yeah. Sounds like yeah. Good. Let's go for those three. They're nice.
2: Line up. Good lineup. Yeah. All right. Next question. Lacquer plated or raw.
0: Well, I am raw at the moment, but again, I'm not entirely sure of the difference of all of them after all these years, except I get green hands and it's annoying. So uh now i'm out on that let's say raw just because i am playing raw so that's what i'm doing so yeah okay green hands it is
2: green hands yeah i'm the same way uh okay. what's your uh favorite quote
0: it's going to be something kind of zen ish but i'm not exactly sure what um i'd love to think about this more though maybe there's a way I could, could I write in my answers to this section another time because I, I'm I, there's gonna be something lovely to say, but it's it's generally about less is more kind of that in that direction you know
2: we'll take that okay uh, what is your greatest fear?
0: Uh, I think I don't like being trapped I don't I hate to feel trapped I think that's what we talked about a lot today actually. I need to feel like I have choices so yeah
2: that. There you go. Mm. All right. Uh, you could be granted one superpower. What would it be?
0: Double high seas, any time of the day or night. Uh, superpower. Yeah. Um, no, just long life, really. Yeah. It's immortality. Let's go for that. It's probably not very much fun, immortality, because you just get, you probably just see everything coming around again and again and again. Well, yeah. I remember that last time. Right. Yeah. But yeah, let's go for immortality, because at least I can then choose what I want to do. I could probably spend a few more years practicing, get my high C's together and everything. So, yeah.
2: That, that, that's the way you get the double, the, the double high C
0: <laughs> In 400 years. <laughs> the new book.
2: Yeah. All right. Uh, what aspect of trumpet playing do you think is the most overrated?
0: Um, the higher register.
2: After wanting to spend 400 years learning your double high C. Yeah.
0: Well, you, I don't want to have pink peak too soon, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've decided. Yeah, okay.
2: All right. And what aspect do you think is the most underrated?
0: Uh, the soft, quiet, and low aspects. So that's three, in fact, isn't it? But yeah, definitely the 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 ability to play quietly and beautifully. Uh, I'm not sure that's not really underrated. I think most of us know it's the it's a it's the best, loveliest part of playing. But but still, let's say it's underrated because of the way that social media presents what we do. Yeah.
2: All right. You can uh, go back in time. We've kind of already. uh, Yeah. (laughs) You can go back in time and you give your younger self one piece of advice about music. What would it be?
0: Mm, Actually, you know, I was when I was about the first time I made an album, I was about 15 or 16. And it was um, it was with it was a live album and this old piano player. Uh, it was uh, a guy called george shearing really famous english but he li- lived in the states for most of his life and he was he came to the concert it's kind of again quite a surreal thing like a red Rodney thing i was saying and he said he was introduced to me and he he uh, he said and he said you're very good he said try to enjoy it and that's what he said <laughs> it's like that's quite profound and again it's like one of those things is like you know, I didn't, didn't really know what to, how, to, how to interpret that or to, or to how to, I was just gracious and said, thank you very much. And that was that. But th- that's a really nice piece of advice, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah.
2: Totally. Uh, I'll take it. Uh, yeah. And uh, while you're back there, you're going to give your younger self one piece of advice about life.
0: Uh, try to enjoy it. Actually, is that? Yeah, totally. God, why not? You know, that's what it's all fair for. If you don't enjoy it, you know, I think you, you don't, you, there's no point in doing things that you don't enjoy and you have to enjoy it. You really do. Yeah.
2: yeah. All right. Final question for you, sir. What do you want your legacy to be?
0: Um, relaxed trumpet playing. Relaxed trumpet playing. That's what I want it to be. Yeah, definitely. Oh okay. Comfortable, and, comfortable, relaxed trumpet playing. That's what I want it to be. Comfortable, yeah. relaxed, enjoyable. Enjoyable. So. Yes. Yes, that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah, good.
2: Awesome. All right. Well, I take my man. This has been a absolute joy getting to know you. Oh,
0: you too. Really lovely to talk to you. Thanks for the time. Really enjoy- I've enjoyed it also.
2: I certainly appreciate uh, yeah. you know, contributions as a performer, as a you know, as a teacher. And mm. I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing what the next chapter in your life brings yeah out. so um, oh
0: thank you well it'll be um I, I, i'm i'm just on i'm just doing my thing on facebook i have no intention of interacting with organized publishing or record companies or any or gigs or anything that i do like that i'm I, i'm really not i'm really kind of like rejecting that and i doing my thing so so keep an eye on me on my facebook page if that's okay that's the place to be and it's really not uh I don't really want to promote anything other than what we've talked about. Actually. I, I, I never, I don't think I ever will. I think that's where I'm at. So
2: oh, that's it's good. That's yeah. Just so uh, yeah. So folks, if you want to find out uh, what's going on, just, uh, make sure you follow the links in the show notes. Uh, you can check all that good stuff out. So um I guess that's a wrap for today. So thank you for joining us for this episode of The Hang. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, share with your friends. uh, And uh, if you have suggestions for a future guest or topic that you'd like uh, me to discuss with someone, drop it, uh, drop me a line and um, I'll try to get to that. So until next time,
1: folks, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see The Hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at The Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Jose Johnson is the executive producer. Post-production editing is by Mitch Bowers. Our opening theme song was composed and performed by Lexi Signor. And our closing theme music comes courtesy of The Greatest Funeral Ever. Incidental music is by Ethan Swayze and Jose Johnson. Graphic design by Ann Kirby of The Sweet Corps. The Trumpet Gurus Hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the So Good Lancaster Media Group.